Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple. We got a special guest with us today, New York Mets beat writer from the New York Post and author of the new book, If These Walls Could Talk, Stories from the New York Mets, Dugout, Locker Room, and Press Box. Mike Puma, thank you so much for coming on. Tim, thanks for having me today. Oh, always a pleasure, man. Uh, before we jump into the book, I guess uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. So uh, this is after the Mets took two from the Phillies on Tuesday. It's a nice change of pace. Yeah, and you know, the Mets uh, did just enough, came up with uh, enough hits. And, uh, you know, the pitching here has been very good, uh, you know, led by uh, Marcus Stroman in the doubleheader. But uh, some good signs for sure uh, in the doubleheader sweep. Oh, definitely. I think uh, Taiwan Walker looked real good. Um, and really just, I guess, turning the tides after uh, an inconsistent start should be a real important, I guess, focal point of, uh, of moving forward before they get too far ahead of themselves. Yeah. You know, the thing is you look at the, some of those batting averages and, you know, Lindor isn't hitting and uh, Conforto isn't hitting and uh, uh, McNeil's uh, under 200, although, you know, he, he hit, some hard balls uh, yesterday, which was a, a good sign. Uh, you know, McCann isn't hitting. So mo- most of this lineup isn't hitting. You look at where they got their offense yesterday was uh, Dominic Smith with the, with the home run. And uh, you had Nimmo was on base five times. And uh, Jonathan VR came up with some big hits. So, you know, they, 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 they got their offense uh, from basically from three places. Now you, you, you got to get the rest of these guys going. Wait, wait until uh, Lindor breaks out. I, I think this lineup is going to look completely different. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, just everyone kind of, re, you know, getting back to their norms, um, finding their respective grooves. You know, this is a, it's a roster that's kind of built to compete. There's a lot of firepower. Um, like you said, I think Lindor, Conforto, uh, Pete, yeah, Alonzo. I mean, you know, the whole the whole lineup is really just, uh, you know, they're they're well equipped to to compete in a very tough division, and especially if the starting pitching continues to to produce and and the bullpen can kind of settle into their roles. Um, yeah, it should be exciting times. Yeah, I you know I I wouldn't worry about the the lineup too much if I were a Mets fan because I I think there's enough pieces there that they're, they're gonna. They're going to hit. They're going to score runs. You know, the thing you worry about, obviously, is the bullpen and then uh, the the back end of that rotation until you get a couple of guys healthy. But I, I think the lineup's going to come around and be just fine. Oh, same here. And, and Miguel Castro talking about the bullpen. He's been pretty impressive. He almost got out of two separate gens, yes, on a, on Tuesday. But uh, really, just um, they're very impressive. It looks like he can really. I guess take on some of those higher uh, higher leverage spots that maybe you know familiar won't uh, well can't really or maybe can't be trusted to uh, to to take on. Yeah, and that's been big, and we saw it almost right from the start of spring training with Castro. Uh, you know, after after last year, you didn't really know what to make of this guy. He came over was kind of inconsistent uh, in that month. The Mets had him after the trade deadline. Uh, but he's got a new confidence about him. He, he's, he's pitched a lot better and that, that's a, that's a big spot because, um, if you can go Castro, then, uh, right to may and Edwin Diaz, uh, it eliminates some question marks there. That's, you know, that, that's the ideal there where you can go seven, eight, nine with Castro may Diaz. 
yo, that's a that's a formidable back end. I think that could, um, you know, in a perfect world, that could really be a, a ticket to success. Um, Louis Rojas has been getting, I guess, a little. He was getting a little bit of heat over the first week, and and you know, undue to a certain extent. There were a couple of decisions there, but uh, you know, I think the the whole in over his head narrative was was definitely a little um, premature, and uh, he certainly looks like he's got his players behind him. Yeah, and I, I think he's a, a different guy this year than we saw. Uh, you know, last year was such a weird year. He, he comes in uh, right before spring training after the whole Carlos Beltran fiasco, and then uh, uh, spring training uh, gets yanked from out under him uh, with, with the shutdown for the pandemic, and then uh, you get the 60-game season and uh, the craziness with that. I, I think he, he learned a lot. Uh, from last year, he, he's, uh, I, I noticed it in his dealings with the media, he, he's a lot more comfortable uh, talking about the team and, and revealing information. You know, part of that goes also into the ownership change and the front office change. I, I, you know, I don't think that's hanging over him as much as previously, but I, I also think uh, it, it's just a change in Rojas and how he his comfortability uh, in the job. Oh, definitely. I think the comfort level is huge. I think the, like you were saying, the ability to grow under new management um, is certainly going to help him along his way. And I guess that gives us a a perfect little segue to kind of jump into, to your latest project. Um, If these walls could talk, which early returns are, uh, are pretty, pretty outstanding. This fan base has heard whispers about the previous ownership group for, uh, for a very long time. And it, it seems like you really kind of delve into some of those stories and, uh, and shine some light on some of those situations. Yeah, a little, little bit, you know, and it's not a hammer the will Pond's book where you just start to finish. It's, it's uh, Fred and Jeff, but there's some stuff sprinkled in there. You know, one particular story I get into was uh, with Bobby Valentine's firing back in 2002 and how, uh, Valentine thinks that a, a meeting that involved Jeff Wilpon, uh, which ruffled some feathers, might have led to Valentine getting fired. So I, I found that interesting. Uh, you know, I talked to a lot of people uh, for the book. Didn't you know? Did uh, did my own new reporting basically for this? And uh, you know, I, I think if you're Mets or even even if you're not a Mets or you're just a baseball, I, I think you're gonna like it. it basically covers uh the last 20 plus years uh basically i came on the scene in 98 so that that's kind of where it starts yeah i was gonna say i mean you've been a you know you've been on the beat for so long were there any like uh i guess revelations that are stories that you heard that that you were unaware of before yeah you know i talked to noah syndergaard extensively um and now he hasn't he hasn't talked to the media in over a year now. He hasn't. I don't think he's done a real extensive interview in God probably a couple of years. So I, I talked to him in the off season before the 2020 season, and without giving too much away, he, he revealed some information to me uh, about uh, his lat injury back in 2017 that I found interesting, and uh, that you know there's a. a a part of the book that kind of delves into that and kind of what the Mets knew and what the Mets didn't know. Um, so I, I think Mets fans are, are going to find that a little bit interesting. Yeah. All these little nooks and crannies about, you know, just 
little things that might have been hidden underneath rocks or, or what have you over the, over the years. Um, certainly looking forward to, to, to jumping into it myself. I know mine is coming on the, on the 27th. I'm certainly uh, counting the days off till that comes. Um, everybody listening, you guys can get this on Amazon, uh, wherever you find your books. Uh, if these walls could talk stories from the New York Mets dugout locker room and press box. Again, that's from Mike Puma of the New York post. This is out from Triumph Books. I'm going through all my notes here. And uh, Mike, any uh, any anything else cooking on your end? No, not really. I mean, the book is, uh, you know, between the book and covering the beat right now, taking up uh, most of my time. Really excited about the book. As you mentioned, 27th of April is the publication date, but uh, it can be pre-ordered right now on Amazon. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think if you're a Mets fan, baseball fan, uh, you're going to like it, especially if you're somebody who's uh, grown up with the team over the, the last two decades plus. Well, I know, uh, you know, we were a we were a Newsday and Post household growing up. And in, in 1998, I was 15 years old, 16 years old, something like okay. that. OK, yeah. so. Uh, so, yeah, I've been uh, I've been on the Puma train for a while, man. And I'm certainly looking forward to uh, to getting into the book. That's it. It's going to be uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah. And uh, there's a there's a chapter on the Santana no hitter. I think that goes a little deeper than uh, anybody's gone with that before. And uh, I also get into 2015 a lot with uh, a lot of the stuff that was going on uh, behind the scenes uh, leading up uh, to the Cespedes trade and then some uh, behind the scenes stuff uh, from the World Series that I think uh, fans will find interesting. So it's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I kind of want to see, uh, I hope the, uh, the Harvey decision to leave him in or pull him gets touched on. Oh, it gets touched on. <laughs> All right. Looking forward to it, man. Mike, I, you know, a, a million thanks for coming on. Uh, best of luck with the book. Best of luck with the season. Um, keep killing it out there, man. Thanks for having me, Tim. All right, guys. That was Mike Puma from the New York Post. Again, you can get the book, If These Walls Could Talk. Stories from the New York Mets dugout, locker room, and press box. It's out on April 27th. You can pre-order it on Amazon now. Of course, it's always cool to go buy it from your local bookstore, support your local uh, local businesses. We're going to take a quick break, hear from our sponsors. We're going to come back and have a good time with a couple of good friends. Three, two. All right, guys, we are back. Got a couple of good buddies from Twitter that... uh. You know, you guys all know Steven Josiah, Ray Correa. You guys know him as Ray Brutal on Twitter. Um, fellas, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think we're going to have some fun. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having us on, man. Hey, so, yeah, uh, Ray just called me. He said he had an offer for, like, really cheap uh, jer- jerseys that he wanted to uh, talk oh, about. And then yeah, the that's next, really next thing, uh, next thing I know, I'm on with you. So, um, yeah, since, well, since I'm here, <laughs> might as well uh, – what a setup. Record some things. Yeah, I'm just playing. So thanks for having me back, Tim, of course. Oh, guys. Good to be here. It's my pleasure. It's the family. We like to uh, – we, we have fun here. It's the Dom Smith stand squad. At least this is the – yeah, the stand squad. Right. Like like half of it. Half the stand squad is here. Oh, just I don't know. know. Is this half? The ori- we, we've grown. Something like that. I think of the originals. Well, me, oh, yeah. The, the group has certainly grown. I mean, everyone on Mets Twitter pretty much now is, 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 is using the hashtag and – who, who's not part of the stance squad? Exactly. Who's not in the Dom Smith stance squad? Yeah, if you're not on board at this point in in uh in the race, then 
you're just not watching these games. <laughs> the breakout last year, the um, he's continued it so far this year. It's it's yeah, it's exciting. You know what's wild is that there's still people on Twitter that are like shocked that he's doing well. They're like, you know, this yeah, Dom Smith might be legit. I'm like, he was a first round pick. He's he's high pedigree, and people have been saying this for years. And even like, and and then now it's been like parts of three seasons where he's been really really good what do you mean he might be good like this is a legit stud could we just start expecting it and not be shocked when he does well right and it's funny though because it's like dom is also one of those guys who had the high contact pedigree coming up and everybody was expecting him to hit more for average than for power and then suddenly he comes up and he's always hovered about around or been over like a 200 iso like he's just exactly what you want yeah, he's a slugging first baseman with good good glove work who happens to be out in left field. That's it you just, know, just, it's just your, your everyday first base prospects to major story. He's a guy away from home who's staying in like a rental currently out in <laughs> <Yeah>. left field. <laughs> All right, so enough enough about my 20s. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I mean, really, I mean, Don, the way he's blossomed, the way that the rest of the core that we've seen over the last few years is kind of coming to their own. I mean, you know, there's, there's a few major cogs that haven't really been doing it yet this year, but you know, this isn't like, Oh my goodness, you know, is, is Pete Alonzo going to come, going to snap back into it? Is Jeff McNeil going to, going to, going to slump all year? No, of course they're not. They're going to be fine. Same thing with Conforto, but um, yeah, exciting times. The Mets finally found a little momentum over the last few days. Yeah. And, um, you know, Brandon Nemo, he's kind of just leading the way. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah. And Ray, I, I got to ask Ray about this because I know he uh, he spends a decent amount of time on BaseballSavant.com. But Jeff McNeil is like his expected average is crazy high, right? Way like higher, this, is, this, is, this has just yeah. been bad luck, right? The wild thing is that like he's in the – somewhere in the top 90, 90 something percentile for like average exit velocity, top exit velocity. Like he's hitting the ball really hard. It's just landing in gloves. And, you know, the mantra is, you know, you hit it hard enough, long enough, pause. And uh, eventually the balls are going to catch the ground, you know? <laughs> it's a, it's a, a bunch of 30 and 40 something year olds start giggling at that. I love this, you know, keep our youth about us. Uh, and, and then, uh, Tim, you, I think you tweeted something about Brandon Nimmo's sprint speed being in the higher percentage than we thought. Was that you or was it Ray? That wasn't me, but I think he it might've been Jordan. I, I, he's sneaky. Oh, it might've been Jordan. Yeah. yeah he's so like I, in the I 97 percentile to start the yeah, year I off. I think it was 95th is what I saw. I, and if it wasn't you two, then I apologize to whoever I'm, I'm forgetting, but, um, it, which is cool. Cause it, he's, he hasn't been that speedster. He's been fast, quick enough, but hasn't been that, that blazer uh, in his young career, but people might not know, or they've forgotten that when he was drafted out of Wyoming, he, he was a speed, speed defense sort of player, not mm-hmm. too much like uh, unlike Pete Crow Armstrong. Uh, and, and if I recall correctly, he was either Wyoming state champ or went to state finals for the 60 meter dash. He was, he was a very, very he was quick, a runner. He was a sprinter. Yes. And so you're right. Uh, that He school. isn't a 95 percentile for sprint sprint speed. And uh, some something funny about Nimmo too that I, I talked about a while ago is uh, of all the players that were on the Mets last year that are on the team this year, he had the second lowest uh, swinging strike rate too. I know the top three was uh, Guillaume, McNeil, Nimmo. Yeah, but, but awesome. I think I think uh, if I if memory serves me correctly, Nimmo was just before McNeil. He was 
swinging mm-hmm. the bat and missing balls less than him, which is crazy. And right now he's in the 99 percentile in chase rate. Like, so I got a question for you guys. What What is the upper limit for what Brandon Nimmo is? Because he seems just to get better and better. Uh, and, and granted, he's he's on fire right now. I don't think anyone expects him to hit over 400 all season. But like, what what is the best year of Brandon Nimmo's career look like? Hmm. I think it kind of looks like like John Olerud with a lower average. Like mm-hmm. he's not going to hit. 300 but he's Mm -hmm. gonna have that like he could very possibly have like the highest on base percentage since john olerud had uh what what was it that he had on the mets to like a well i'm not sure i'm not sure if he 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 recorded an out i think he just walked every play to currency and get a hit (laughs) that's exactly (laughs) it as long as he's wearing that helmet he's taking bases on balls (laughs) exactly (laughs) he's even getting a walk while playing first with the Mets, Jesus, Louise. All right, so his his on base percentage with the Mets. This is John Olerud in ninety seven, ninety eight, and ninety nine. He had a four hundred on base in ninety seven, a four forty seven on base in ninety eight, <laughs> and a four twenty seven on base in nineteen ninety nine. That's four forty seven. How how many uh, plate appearances was that? Four forty seven. Six sixty five. Oh my lord, that's that's an incredible runs created it must have been an incredible runs created uh, season for him I, I i wonder if brandon nimmo can get there I, I, he won't if he's hitting 220 we know that but if if he can boost the average and kind of get that floor a little bit higher with his walk rate do you think he could hit 447 on his on base percentage i don't know about 447 but i think he's gonna hover up, like somewhere above 400 he can he can sit somewhere like 405 410 if he keeps walking at the rate that he has throughout his whole career and the thing that i feel like mm-hmm. as as he's aging his eye is only getting better man i i feel like he he's chasing way less pitches i think also um he doesn't really chase out of the zone too much and when he does miss a swing it's something that's in the zone that he just didn't catch up to and it's usually something right. upstairs yeah, that's what it's got to be really frustrating for, to face Brandon Nimmo if you're a pitcher knowing like, hey, he's not going to swing if it's on the strike zone. So I've got to throw it in the strike zone, but make sure it's a good enough pitch that he's not going to hit because not only can he hit, but he has power and he could tattoo me for for a long, long home run. So oh, it's, it, it, he's a he's a very fun player to watch at the plate. I, I don't know how much his value is going to be suppressed by center field this season, but. Um, certainly at the plate, he's going to be a, a, a weapon for us. So when do we start talking extension for Brandon Nimmo, man? <laughs> I think that's a great question. So he's up after next season, is end that correct? Of, end of 2022, he's a free agent. End of 2022, all right. Yeah, I, I think that's that you got and that's also, that's also when Jacob deGrom's opt-out is too, correct? Oof. That's also yeah. true. Uh, all right. Yeah. There's, no, there's no way Jacob no, 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 DeGrom no, doesn't opt out. I think it's the end of 2023. There. Hold oh, it's 2023. Okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Either way, we're going to start. I mean, Conforto and Cindergard are, are up after this year. Those are extensions that I really hope we can get done. Um, I would love to keep this team together, but at some point it's like, are right, you get those two and you, you start focusing on Brandon Nimmo, Jacob DeGrom. It's starting to get really expensive. It is 2022, by the way. My apologies. Mm, yeah. And, yeah, I mean <laughs> – Kind of with the core that they've put together, and I know there's been a lot of talk about the way that the Mets have drafted in recent years and kind of the success rate with they, that they've had with their even, you know, middle to, to back end draft picks. You know, oh, it's been beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they've really built a, a nice core, and, and moving forward, it's going to be, you know, tough for them to um, retain everything. 
Yeah, you, you can't, you know, you can't re-sign everybody. You can't keep everyone in-house. But, boy, you look around and you look at Nimmo and Alonzo and McNeil and Conforto. Like, well, who out of these guys don't you want to keep in the fold? And, and you, you, know, you want to keep all of them. You <laughs> do. And, and these are tough decisions. And I know Cohen said, I think it was Tim Healy <laughs> Newsday, he reported that, you know, the Mets are – you know, they're, they're more than willing to go out and spend in these next few years. And you saw it with Lindor and you saw it with the, I guess, aggressive talks with, uh, well, not aggressive, but, you know, talking with Conforto, talking with DeGrom, trying to head off that opt-out. You know, they have um, a strong foundation. You have to wonder where they mm-hmm. go from here. And I, I guess maybe what's the point of having a multi-billionaire owner if he's not going to spend money? And if he's going to spend money, why not keep the homegrown or mostly homegrown stud players from leaving and, and going elsewhere to finish out their careers. So like, I'm, I'm all about keeping this core together and just extending them and throwing as much money at them as, as needed. I mean, like, I, you can't let the ground go. I mean, he's, he's the guy you got to keep after that. It, I mean, why wouldn't he opt out? He, he's vastly underpaid for what he is. I also think you, you got to keep one of Stroman or Sendergaard, if not both. I mean, but certainly one. Um, so that, I think that would be my focus right now. Conforto, I'm, I'm not so sure. I certainly want the Mets to extend him, um, but we'll see what happens there. Do you think he's costing himself money with this with this early season skid, or like what? At what point does Conforto start to cost himself money with a bad season? Talk to me in June. <clears throat> Talk to me in June. Yeah, if he's still cold, like a couple of months into the season, and he hasn't caught up, and his numbers aren't starting to boost again, right. then then it's something that that it's going to start hitting him in his pocket. But right now, I think seven we, games. Yeah. Yeah. We, we need to talk chicken little away from the edge, you know? <laughs> sure. But like, you know, like, Conforto at the same time, I think a lot of people thought Conforto was going to have that Christian Yelich esque breakout where he becomes a, a bona fide MVP candidate. And, mm-hmm. and he, he always seems like he's really close to doing that, but just doesn't get, he, he's already like in the really, really, really good baseball category. But I'm not sure I would put him in the elite category yet. And it's just like a, we keep waiting to, for him to get there. I was like, is, is he going to get there? And if so, when? I think well, he might just be a tier below. But I think he that's still fantastic. That's sure, still – yeah. But is it worth $150 million, though? I mean, comparatively, you know, it, some guys are getting $300 million for performance that is how much better. You know, when we're looking at this from from a valuation standpoint of how how many wins are they bringing to a team, it's not mm-hmm. to dissimilar. So to pay 175 million, 160 million for a guy who's giving you four four to five wins a season, compared to giving 300 million for a guy who gives you a couple of six seven win years occasionally, not all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the numbers start to make a little more sense. And to your point, it's not like outfield is really stacked in that next year's free agent class. Neither is starting pitching, and that's really my argument for, for locking Syndergaard up. It's, it's horrible, especially with McCullers now extended. It's awful. Yeah, and even going back to, um, to Conforto, I mean, this is going back to 2019, so you're looking at like 200, his last 200 career games. I mean, even with a little hiccup towards the beginning of this season, he's still hitting 269, 373, 488 since the beginning of 2019. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he, he's been that consistent player. I mean, I think his BABIP over that span pushing 320, 318. You know, that's, that's pretty close to league average. That's sustainable. Yeah. Again, I mean, you know, I would, if the five-year 150 deal is there, 
I would try mm. and down to 25 a year, but yeah, um, that's a little expensive for me, I think for five years. Well, I mean, where's the market going though? Right. Especially, well, I think we have to see what coronavirus does to these owners pockets over the, the next year or so. And again, I think, I think Steve Cohen bought this team at a really good time for somebody to invest in a baseball team. Mm-hmm. And I think he's in this unique opportunity to spend where maybe other owners won't. So if the market's depressed, I, I think it's, it's a no brainer. Um, if, if owners come back with, you know, renewed vigor financially uh, and, and start going on a spending spree, then I'm not sure I would uh, overbid uh, when, the, when there's just other mouths to feed, if, if that makes sense. And, and that's if, if Conforto was our only homegrown player who is uh, up on the, on the market soon, I don't think I'd have a second thought. I'd just be like, pay the guy whatever he wants. But when you start thinking about Stroman and Syndergaard and Brandon Nimmo and Jacob deGrom, it, th- then it starts to, to get like, oh boy, is there, is there a limit to how much Steve Cohen can spend and who do I want to spend it on out of that group? See, but to that point, um, even though you have that point that he's not the only homegrown guy who's coming up and ready to make mm-hmm. some cash, uh, when, when you consider the Mets farm system, there aren't a lot of products at that same position that you know can, can actually fill that need if they don't get them. So they're going to have to spend regardless to be able to fill that, mm-hmm. or they're going to have to trade some of their guys to be able to get a low cost option. And, but what, what options really are there right now? Like some, some of the guys who have been looked at before in the past and guys have been interested in, like say like a Ramon Laureano, he's, mm-hmm. uh, he's coming up to the point where he's no longer an inexpensive option, you know? Right. And to that point too, is the <laughs> like that that market just being being what it is there's not a lot of the well's gone dry it's it's gone dry and if you're willing to put that money to springer why not why why not give it skin for the home the homegrown guy the guy that maybe like has that little breakout still left that we haven't gotten yet and you're buying a little bit low so i i get it i get the point but pitching is also pretty scarce and the vets don't have a lot of pitching in the upper minors i do like some of the guys uh further down but um yeah, I mean, if we if we can throw a almost a billion dollars at those four players I just mentioned, and, and there's no restriction on that, then then go after it, Uncle Steve. Like, go go do that because I would love to keep this pretty much this very team together. And I say that with the Mets one game above 500 early in the season, I just think there's a, a ton of talent on this team, and I don't want to see anybody go. No, I feel I like I feel I, like we're gonna come up to the point where like um, Steve Cohen's gonna go on Twitter and do like a poll. He's like, what do you guys? What do you guys want? A Conforto extension or like detractable roof on the stadium? <laughs> Unlimited and, and choice, then, guys. Some, somehow, Mets fans are going to turn this into a bloodbath of differing opinions because that's the only thing that we could do. Well, you look back at what happened with Zach Wheeler, and that's even with all the the, the bullshit that was coming out of the organization about mm-hmm. two two good half seasons. And, you know, Wheeler, I think his last two starts between Wednesday night and his previous start um, looked good in his opening start, but he kind of hasn't been the guy he was last year. Uh, You know, that's the type of guy that the Mets should have and could have spent money on and under Mm -hmm. that last ownership group um, just, you know, didn't. That's kind of how they approached their business. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you hate for this team or under this management to kind of make the same mistakes with – whether it's position players, whether it's Syndergaard and Stroman, like you kind of have to assess future value. Um, you know, you look up and down this roster, how many 30-year-olds are in the starting starting lineup? 
That's right. Mm-hmm. That's not rhetorical. How many 30 year olds do they have in this besides DeGrom, uh, VR? I think the only other guy who's really approaching is. Um, God. So, so, if I recall correctly, the oldest member of the New York Mets is Aaron Loop. Um, okay and, and and so so tim i've actually uh, i don't know why i do this to myself but i've i've gone on the roster and found all of the players who are older than i am and then all of the players who are younger <laughs> and it's not a lot who are older i think aaron loop and carlos carrasco are the only two born in 87 then Degrom is born in 88 and he's a few months younger than i older than i am I, th- I think that's about it. So I'm 32 so, for those listeners who don't know. I'm 32, born in November of, of 88. I think it's just those three who are older than I am on the team. And so that's, that's I, it. Have I finally re- – I was born in October 83. Have I finally – Oh, you're older, you're older than every Met, yes. I, I finally reached the point that I'm older than everyone on the roster. Uh, unless yeah. unless we have a veteran up uh, who's well, older than – yeah, like well, as it. it stood a, a little bit ago, it was right, Carlos well, Guys, I thank, I thank you for coming on. <laughs> but I Time to don't hang worry, out, man. Yeah. They're, they're gonna they're gonna trade for our like Oliver Perez at the deadline. Right, there <laughs> we go. Left the option. You feel great, man, because that dude's like forty. So, mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah, he's only forty. Like I could actually is, see forty from where I'm sitting right here. So what is is Albert Pujols the old, oldest major leaguer, or is Oliver Perez older? Because uh, I think Pujols was born in eighty. Really, Pujols? I believe so. I, I don't know for sure, but I know that Nelson Cruz is Nelson up there too. Cruz, yeah, yeah, Nelson Cruz is up there. Yo, Nelson Cruz was traded by the Mets in 2002. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Signed signed by the Mets? No. I think signed by the Mets in 1999 and traded in 2002 or something. Mm -hmm. If only we had the age sooner. Isn't it just crazy, too, that like just thinking of when some of these players were were drafted. So Brandon Nimmo was drafted in 2011. He was drafted 10 years ago. Isn't that that wild? Wow. Yo, I'm sorry. Cruz was traded by the Mets in 2000. If that doesn't make sense, really old. Oh man, the Mets lose the World really Series old. to the Yankees and, and what trade away Nelson feel, Cruz. What what got me to feel really old the other day was seeing <clears throat> Pelfrey in the booth. Like, <laughs> it hasn't been that long, man. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. well, I think the the first time we had an MLB draft where we drafted somebody whose whose birthday started with a two. That that was a that was a moment. Now pretty much everyone drafted their birthday starts with the two. So yeah, unless unless they're a very like an older college senior, yeah. The, every, every draft prospect is now uh, a two thousands baby. <sighs> Dude, I'm I'm gonna be I'm just a few years away from you know MLB draftees being older than my oldest kid. Oh, oh nice. nice. There you go. Just scary, but okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Onward we go. Yeah. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on what we've seen so far? I mean, I know the the, the core is kind of there, and we know the what's ahead of this organization. But um, what about twenty twenty one? Slow start, kind of coming together now. It, so Tim, I, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but the New York Metropolitans may never lose again. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's it. The episode it, was you know, complete without that. <laughs> as as much as I joke about that, like it, I, I do feel this as a fan, not not that literally, but when the going is good, I feel like this team is indestructible. I'm like, we've got the pitching, we have good defense now, we've got really good hitting, top to bottom. We're never gonna. Lo- There's no way this team could lose. Then we lose two in a row. I'm just like, other than Jacob Degrom, everybody sucks. You know, <laughs> like it's crazy, how, like how the roller coaster that you have as a fan. 
and like simultaneously, both things can be true, right? The team can be playing poor baseball outside of Degrom, who seems to just never be bad. Um, but then they can put it together, and you're like, this team is awesome. And I think that's going to be the season with a, a pretty young team that's still kind of coming together. We're going to have these ups and downs, but. At the end of the season, it wouldn't surprise me if they have a winning percentage pretty close to 600. Just, I, I think the talent is there for that. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the Mets have lost three games, and two of those games were started by Jacob DeGrom. Yeah, correct. Yeah. 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 They're going to be fucking fine. <laughs> serious? Jesus. I can't believe the kind of pitching we're getting out of these guys right now, man. I mean, Tom oh, yeah. Walker has been oh, really showing his stuff, man. Walker. Please. What, what it, oh, man, I know it's just two starts, but is this the steal of the offseason? I mean, what what a great signing. This is a guy that, that you and I were paying attention to from the time that, you know, he, he was, was drafted, down in the yeah. lower mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so to see him actually put it all together the way that we mm-hmm. knew that he had is – and to do it here of all places, like th- this is fantastic. It's like a guy that we were rooting for already for years prior, and now he's doing it here. Uh, it's, it, it's a gift in its own, man. Also, can we just make a point here that pitching careers are not over just because you have arm problems in your 20s? And just a, a couple starters, Taiwan Walker and Carlos Rodon, are having brilliant starts to their seasons yeah. because they're finally healthy. Health goes a long way for pitchers. Well, it looks so, the same like, way when you look at Wheeler, who we just saw, uh, what, mm-hmm. yesterday? I mean, the mm-hmm. guy had how many Tommy John surgeries? Three? Like, he had one no, I, that, that didn't he, take and he, he had actually, to have it redone? I think he only actually had one Tommy John surgery. He just had no. complications coming back from it. Is that really? Yeah, yeah. He had one that didn't take and he had to have the, I the thought he just had redone. a... a I, I just thought he had a two-year recovery from one Tommy John surgery, but I could be wrong. It was two, two full seasons. Um... I think they had to remove scar tissue or some shit like that. And yeah, they that's doing those stomach shots and that kind of built up everything else or whatever, whatever the hell that was. But yeah, I think it was one, it was a, it was a Tommy John and then an extensive cleanup. And then complications. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That was, that was what I thought too. Cause, cause the recovery rate for double Tommy John is kind of horrible. I mean, if you have a second Tommy John, it's, it typically means your career is over. And I think that's why some, People have, I guess, long career concerns with Jacob Degrom, which I, you know, I, I don't want to think about that. But he already does have one. And then again, most most major league pitchers at this point have already had one. But if you haven't read Jeff Passan's The Arm, he does talk about that there with a couple of different major leaguers who had not one but two Tommy John surgeries, and it's just very difficult to come back from you know, a second. You know what's wild now that you mentioned that book? Wasn't that stat from that book where it says that like forty percent of pitchers that that are either in the majors or in the minors have had Tommy John surgery or one it's something like that. It keeps climbing every dude, year. It has to be higher now, dude. That book is like oh, what, it is. eight years old now. I don't th- I don't know. I don't think less. it's quite that old, but it is you're right. Every year that percentage climbs, but also so does the success rate for Tommy John surgery has been climbing as the surgeon surgeons get more talented and the, the we get more information on how to recover Properly. I think it's more and repetition that, than talent. It's like, you, yeah, yeah, you know, sure, like the sure. first time, um, the first time you put together a jigsaw puzzle and it yeah. took you like a long time and then you realize yeah. you got to do the edges first. Like, I, I would hate Dr. to have like done the first one. <laughs> Dr. James Andrews, expert jigsaw puzzler with a knife, <laughs> with, with a scalpel. That first Tommy John surgery must have been like, all right, he's out of here. Shred everything. Get rid of it. Shout out to Bill Burr for that joke. <laughs> 
this is though why I'm I'm just not at all hesitant about offering a nine-figure contract extension to Noah Syndergaard, even not knowing how he's going to pitch after Tommy John, because we all know that the guy works tirelessly, and I, and I just I have a lot of confidence in pitchers coming back from that and coming back from that to the level that they were. Um, it, it, so Syndergaard has to be extended, I think. And, and I'm not afraid to give him a lot of money. And he might come at a discount for that exact uncertainty, but I would try to lock him up like now <laughs> before he gets back on a mound and reminds people how darn good he is. Yeah, I mean, the, the death sentence or the career death sentence that Tommy John once was, um, of course, nowhere near that now like you were just saying, but now it's like thoracic outlet is, is kind of that. It's exactly. The, it's the new Tommy John. Yeah. You know, and you look at um, who was Chris Archer last week, who was pitching just beautifully. And then he had to come out. He got hurt. I didn't even see what that was yet. Um, but, you know, it, it it's medical advancements. And, yeah, I'm not hesitant in the least bit to throw money at Syndergaard. Um, I think it's going to be tough to uh, with the season that I think Strowman's going to have. It's going to be tough to keep him. Um, from testing the market. I think he's going to be a hot mm-hmm. commodity. Um, I certainly see him continuing on his success that he's been on so far. I think he's 0.73 ERA through two starts. That's yeah, a, nice, uh, a nice first step. But, you know, it, he's become the fulcrum point. Um, yeah, they got a lot of decisions, man. And speaking about coming back, you know, the Mets are doing this. They got, like, what, the second best team um, – Rotation ERA, and this is before Carrasco and Noah Syndergaard are actually here with the team. Yeah, like, yeah, they're holy shit! Two point eight one team ERA. That's third in baseball going into Wednesday night. That's that'll that'll play. Then oh, I, so- I think that has everything to do with James McCann and Tomas Nito behind the plate, like Working two guys who know how to call the game, um, mm-hmm. especially with the back end, not really including. Taiwan Walker, who's like you guys said, looked you know terrific, but kind of easing along Peterson, easing along Lucchese, mm-hmm. who's really good. He'll get another shot this weekend. Um, you know, perfect storm, man. Everything's kind of coming together. It's really it's a beautiful thing. So I got a question for you guys. Then, if if that continues to play, it's and Taiwan Walker continues to pitch well, Peterson, Lucchese continue to look good. And then we get Carrasco back. And then not long after that, we get Noah Syndergaard back. And I, I know this is a tough question to ask. And I, I kind of hate the phrase, it's a good problem to have. But what, what, what's, your, what's your call? Like, who, who do you send down? Is it Lucchese? Is it Peterson? Is it one of them to the bullpen? Is it Walker? Like, what, what do you do there? Do you, do you I, limit the starts with Syndergaard and Carrasco? Do you piggyback games? Like, what's your solution for six good starters? I think that it's going to be a, a thing of – it's going to depend, and it's going to depend on how the bullpen's doing. And if the bullpen's doing well, then it's going to have to be someone being sent down to the minors, and unfortunately it's going to probably be Lucchese first and then Peterson. But if not, then it might actually see one of Peterson and Lucchese going to the bullpen and keeping one of them stretched out down at AAA mm-hmm. in case they need a starter. I think that's honestly the way it's going to go. What do you think I, of- oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just wondering about. I kind of forgot about Jordan Yamamoto. Like he's he's there too. Like does no. he see any time? Uh, is he a factor at any point this season? I think he's going to be. Well, now we got a bunch of double headers coming up because of all the oh, yeah. outs. and yeah, I think true. he's going to be part of that. You know, you get the the extra man on those mm-hmm. double header days, and I think he might be that guy on several occasions. You know, so, I think that they're both going to have uh, between Yamamoto and, and Lucchese, who I also think is probably going to be. 
I don't want to say the odd man out, but I do think that he, he shifts into a different role and he fits into that opener role very well. Uh, I think Peterson, him and Peterson, even piggybacking them off each other on a fifth day could, could work. Um, and really, you could even limit, uh, I guess, wear and tear on the bullpen if you wanted to. Let them go four innings apiece and Diaz close it up, ideally. Um, and you have to worry about spots in the bullpen. I mean, Castro's looked terrific. May had his hiccups, but he's striking out 16.2 per nine. Uh, Diaz, Diaz's stuff looks, you know, fantastic. Even familiar. I mean, that's – if Jerry's familiar is the weak spot in the bullpen um, – you know, and you got three other guys who are going to be kind of scratching and clawing to get innings. Um, I think we still got to see Kasselman at this point. Like, right. we got to see what, what he's doing, and we got to see if that fastball is staying flat or if it's going to have a little bit more traction and motion to it. But because Familia's – honestly, he's producing some really soft contact right now. He's actually, I think, in the 100 percentile right now for, like, exit velocity, which is mm-hmm. – that's absurd. But – I mean, sure, it's early in the season and everything as well, but the thing is, you know, you're watching what's happening. It's just little infield dribblers that, that are getting down to base hits. But, man, if he if he just starts missing bats later in, in at-bats instead of earlier, he's going to be striking some guys out too, and it's not even going to come down to the field as often. It's just, again, that's a matter of if, and I guess we're, we're kind of – I think the Mets are really going to play by ear right now. Um but I don't think that we're at a point, especially with, with Cohen, where they're afraid to take on a sunk cost. If they got to let a guy go, they got to let a guy go. So be it. Mm-hmm. But I think that's where Batanzas fell in. Um, yeah. You know, he, he wasn't really cutting it. And they said, OK, you know, we, we kind of have to keep things moving. And, and you have a shoulder issue. Let's let's, you know, move you over and let's mm-hmm. see what we got. Mm-hmm. Probably shooting him up on cortisone like every two days or something. Yeah, but I mean, even if they kind of get him back healthy and, you know, he's still only touching 91, 92, where does that, what kind of help does that bring? What, what does that do? It doesn't. If you're just blocking another live arm that could possibly be, be more effective, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, sometimes you just got to move on, right? Yeah. I, it's a tough it's call. A, it's it really a bummer because Batanzas has had such a great career. I mean, yeah. even even like if you take just from the start of his career till now, including the couple lost seasons that he's had here recently, he's still among the leaders in, in war because he was just so good. And he, he, my my uncle's a big Yankees fan, and, he, and when we signed him, he he warned me about this. He was like, "Don Batanzas is going to come out throwing." kind of soft early in the season and he always gains velocity as the spring goes on and by the summer he's he's thrown 98 uh, with good movement and, and locating and so you know e- even as Batanzas has gotten older okay maybe we can't expect 98 but but in the mid 90s should still be within range for him but then you know he gets hurt and that just pushes the timetable back and so I, I think I agree with you I think we're at the point where maybe this is a cut bait sort of situation it's just a bummer because I think if he if coronavirus didn't happen he got a full ramp up and he had avoided these injuries we'd have be having a very different conversation right now and be a conversation about how dominant the back end of our bullpen is with Evan Diaz yes and and this but I think there's one concern there and I think it's Batanz is actually himself saying like I'm not that guy anymore yeah I've got to learn a new way to pitch but he's got to kind of embrace that and I think this spring he was trying to and I know he Mm -hmm. went and worked on it in the offseason, trying to, um, even without the velocity, kind of get that rise back on his fastball and kind of open up his breaking pitches, which are still absolutely disgusting. But mm-hmm. 
it, without the without the velocity, it doesn't really allow the other pitchers to breathe. And you know, mm-hmm. he's going to have to kind of rediscover himself. And whether that's here or not, I mean, it's a shame because he came in with so much promise. Um, you really hope that he he could have kind of used this as a you know a step into his next contract, whatever the case may be. But uh, yeah, it didn't really work out. But you know, if you're looking back at Miguel Castro and, and he's pushing, mm-hmm. you know, 98 and a half, 99 miles an hour on average, you know, and, and he, he's looked good so far. He's going to take all these leverage, these higher leverage spots that the familiars and the Batances has kind of left on the table. I just, you know what I would, I would love to see with Castro? And I'm sure this has happened. I would just love to, to see it as a fan, see some report of this. You know how Jacob DeGrom was taking Matt Allen around during spring training and kind of taking him under his wing? Mm-hmm. I think he, he needs to take Miguel Castro around because they, they both have really live arms. Uh, Miguel Castro has somehow maybe even more dynamic a slider than Jacob DeGrom. It's not as good a pitch because he doesn't control it as well, but it's it, the spin rate on it and the velocity are, are both DeGrom-esque and the well, fastball actually, velocity in life. I hate to I, I think it, M- his, slider's got his average more, spin rate. Yeah. His average spin rate's actually higher than Degrom's on his slide. It, it is, yeah. Again, not not quite the same pitch because of the okay. the location and command of it, but it's more dynamic. And his fastball is like like you said, it, it is at that level. I would love to see Degrom just mentor him and be like, "Hey, like we're, we're similar arms here. Let's try to let's try to calm your stuff down. Know where it's going, and you're, you you could be a top five reliever in all of baseball." Uh, so I, I would love to see that. Um, he's not there yet, but he's a he's such a fun guy to watch. Also, I refuse to believe that he's not somehow related to Jamie Foxx because the two of them, like, <laughs> like the, the next time he's pitching, just look at his face. Like it's Jamie Foxx in a six foot seven gangly fireball uh, throwing <laughs> person. <laughs> he's impressive. And he's got he's got stuff that moves like Diaz's. And boy, if they, if both of them mm-hmm. get, sit them both down with Jake. Let them learn how to harness that movement, and boy, that there's 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 a next level for both of those guys. And um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to be in the box facing that <laughs> facing that next level against either of them. You see Bryce Harper on Wednesday night. Yeah, that was um, something. I think Diaz in the it was in the ninth. Um, he hit him with two sliders low, and zero oh and two. He just absolutely blew. It was one oh one, and I think he yep. maybe Mike Mayer put it up on Twitter today. He had. A 17 inches of horizontal break on a four seamer. Oh, like are you serious? On a four seamer? That's ridiculous. That's, that's insane. That's unheard of. It sounds yeah. like a cutter. Yes, bro. Right. That's a, that's a two seamer. That's a ch- like a slider that, on a four seamer. Oh, that's, that's four crazy. Seamer. And it just cut directly away from in a Harper's foot. He stood no chance. Now, if you can do that, mm. if you can harness that type of stuff on a consistent basis, which Diaz looks a lot closer than he has been in recent years to, to get into that mm-hmm. point. Um, boy, that's a that's a formidable back end, man. And throw May in there, who just the dude paints. Um, yeah, that's that's fun. And and you know, really is. you find you find these guys their roles, and you know, you know how important it is for relievers to kind of settle into roles and have that kind of regular routine. But boy, having the options to kind of mix and match and kind of play those hot hands, a la Terry Collins, it's um. Yeah, it's exciting. I think they really did a great job of kind of shoring up all the deficiencies they could have this this winter. So where's the weakness on this team then? Because we're going to lose some games. We're going to lose a lot of frustrating games. We, this is the Mets after all. Like, where do you think the, the if there is a glaring weakness, where is it? And how could the Mets address it maybe in the I, trade deadline? 
I think it's still in the bullpen. I think it's still in the bullpen. I think the back end still looks really good right now. But I think ultimately that when they're behind on games and they got to, you know, take out a starter maybe in the fifth inning, fourth inning, that's where we're looking a little bit weak right now. But again, this is a very malleable situation where by June that may not be an issue with no Syndergaard and Carrasco coming back and some guys being able to shift roles or do whatever. Them, it may not be the same now as it is in eight weeks. You know, of right now, that that's our deficiency. I think secondary might be some of the bench spots. I think the bench, while it does have, you know, we, we've been giving a, these guys a bit of shit, but they are honestly doing that bad. Like, it, if, you, if it comes down to the numbers, they're doing all right. But it's, and, and we have to take note. These guys are bench role players now, you know. And they're not going to be as good as the starting guys that we got. So, yeah. like VR, you know, in, in moderation, I think VR can really be an asset. But mm-hmm. Luis Guillorme, the way he's hitting and the way that he fields every position they stick him at, you can't keep him out of a lineup. And when JD comes back this weekend, I think Rojas is going to have a real, um, he's going to be in a pickle. Like, do yeah. you, because JD Davis is back, certainly warrants playing time. But with the play that Guillorme's been giving him, um, how can you justify? It's just, it, you know, I think VR is going to be the odd man out here. And, um, the, you know, the Mets are going to have to figure out how to make that rotation work, whether it's Guillaume and Davis just at third or and, – and by the way, I think third base, I don't want to say it's, the, it's a weakness, but, um, you know, having a consistently solid glove at third base really makes this pitching staff that much better. And if you already can keep this up, great. He's my starting third baseman, and you don't even have to worry about it. But uh, I think you kind of have to get that set. You really do. Mm-hmm. And Davis, you're going to have to find places to put him. Without the DH, um, yeah, it's going to be tough. And his third base play has been okay this 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 year so far. And even through the spring, it was okay. But uh, A couple of hitches, but I mean – Kind of to be expected. Um, one of the options that people spoke about during the offseason is actually on a really hot tear. And it's not the one in Chicago. It's the one in Seattle. And that's Kyle Seager. He, he's mm-hmm. actually he, he's tearing off the roof right now. He's uh, hitting 317, 383, 537. The guy's just having a really hot start to the year. And if he keeps that up until the deadline, he might be the option that's going to be moving. Was he? Did you like him uh, as a free agent or, or a trade target recently? I, I, I vaguely recall you wanting the Mets to get him in the past. I think more so. I, I saw him as a more affordable option if um, the Cubs were trying to play heavy-handed with us, and is more one of those. Well, forget you guys. I can make this option over here, and we're still going to be a formidable team. But now I'm starting to to perk up on this choice a little bit more, but. Uh, again, it's one of those things that I see at the deadline too. Yeah, yeah. I was um, I was kind of enamored by Bryant for a while. I really like Eugenio Suarez. Um, I like Seager. Seager's a really he's been a consistent player for a long time. Um, I'm, and that's not to say I'm not comfortable with Guillaume and Davis, but mm-hmm. if you can, you know, if get you a third base by this roster with 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 that with that level of capability. Um, yeah, it's tough to tough to, to ignore it. I got to agree with that. Absolutely. I kind of still like J.D. Davis, guys. I, I know. I, I, like I got to let this go. Like, he, 
I just feel like his bat is really good. I don't even think we've seen the the most that his bat has to offer. And he's no, got a good no, arm. And I'm just like, oh, if you could just get the footwork down and the reads is a little bit better, you could be so good at third. You don't think 2019 was kind of his high watermark at the plate? You think there's more? Um, I think maybe for power it was. I don't see him hitting. I, I, I'm not looking at it, but I want to see he had like 27 home runs or no, maybe not quite that much. 22, 22 home runs. Was it 22? Oh, maybe he's got a little bit more than that then. Um, but no, I actually think he could he, – if he, you gave him a full season, you would see numbers better than he posted in 2019. Uh, just because I think the, the swing is really good. He, he has good exit velocity. He's, he's gotten the launch angle thing down. And and I, I don't know. I just I, – I, I really like the bat. That was a trade I was very wrong on because the, the guys we gave up, I, I also liked. And I was like, who is this – scrub from houston and then, and then he started right. playing for us so i was like well, this guy's really good. who the hell is this <laughs> well steven i don't know if you remember like us talking around the deadline when um the mess traded away jay bruce but jd davis was one of the guys that i actually spoke to you about that i said that i wanted it was between him yandy diaz when he was still with cleveland and um actually funny enough yeah, you kind of burned me for this one, but I also kind of wanted Colin Moran, even though I knew that his defense really wasn't going to stick Yeah, I've never been much of a fan of his, all the way back to that draft year. And I, give him credit. He's turned, he's turned into a better player than I thought he was going to uh, based on the, out of that draft, but he wasn't a guy <laughs> I wanted for third at all. It's understandable. Yeah, Yandy Diaz has got to be the strongest man who can't hit the ball in the air <laughs> in the I've air, ever yeah. seen. Like, can't any coach get that guy to just put the ball in the air? I mean, he's the strongest man in baseball. I don't think anyone would would deny that. And he's got you know a Wilson Ramos esque uh, launch angle. It's so it's mm-hmm. which, by the way, I guess Wilson Ramos doesn't have a negative. There was a long time where where Wilson Ramos had a negative launch angle. I'm mm-hmm. like early last season. I'm not oh, early, highest, early to us. It was, it was ridiculous. Highest ground rate, uh, ground ball rate in baseball since 2018. That belongs. Yeah, to it doesn't me. surprise and it, me. It's by like 4%. And now he's got what, six home runs already, five home runs already this year. It's so frustrating. I'm not it's trying crazy. to point at any fingers of, as to why that might be or why Wilson Ramos had a, what was it, like 62.9% about like ground ball rate in 2019, 62.4 actually. There you go. That's ridiculous. That's way higher than than any other point in his career. And right now he's sitting at thirty two percent on his ground ball rate. Yeah, that'll you know that'll come back down to earth. And we we've of course. seen we've seen Ramos be that streaky hitter, and it's it's not always been power, but we've seen him reel off three or four home runs in a week. This hasn't mm-hmm. you know he, he had what was it a twenty something thirty game hitting streak a couple of years but ago. But it's just the anomaly. It's just the anomaly of having yeah. a 62 to, to almost have a 63% ground ball rate in any season. It's impossible. Yeah. Like something almost 10% higher than like your career average. That well, look so, at, there has to be a reason. Look at Eric Hosmer. And and you know I, I I can't presume that Wilson Ramos is putting in the same type of work to increase his angle that, that Eric Hosmer is, but Boy, the, the transformation that Hosmer's swing has gone through in the last couple of years, and he was a very, very high ball, uh, high ground ball guy, and he was right up there with Ramos. If Ramos was was the, was the highest, Hosmer was probably number two over that span. Um, I mean, think about it. Those first two years that Hosmer had in San Diego looked like a detriment. If I'm not mistaken, he had a negative war those first two years yeah. playing in, a, in San Diego. Like, that's, he's raking now. Yeah, absolutely. Over 1,000 OPS, that guy is – Oh, congratulations to all the fantasy owners. <laughs> like, is there, you must have gotten him like the 13th, 15th round and mm-hmm. waiting on a first baseman. 
somebody probably took the guy you wanted and then you were like, oh, frig, just Eric Hosmer, fine. And you're like, all right, <laughs> Eric Hosmer. Right. Like me with Gavin so, Lux. I have Gavin Lux and Nico Horner on my bench, just kind of waiting. Oof. Just saying, I, I, I am a big Gavin Lux fan. I, I think he's going to be a, a oh, stud he, for a long time. To start the year. I think he's like 0 for his last 12 or something. It's just not fair how much talent the Dodgers have because yeah. even, even some of the guys that we've been taking for granted on that team are really good contributors. You know, I guess I like we forget how good Chris Taylor is and <laughs> even how good Justin Turner is. And I think it was a good move to bring him back and Corey Seager in a, in a, a way to throw you for a I mean, for a lot of baseball fans out there, McKinstry came out of nowhere and he's, doing he did. Well. He yeah. did. Yeah. I did not know who that was until the nope. first few games of the season. I, I saw his name on the ticker on MLB network. I said, who the hell is McKinstry? Yep. Well, I think, uh, again, it's going to be one of those Breaking Bad moments where they're they're just looking at Andrew Friedman like, he can't keep getting away with this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, so – and and people look at the Dodgers like, how do the Dodgers keep doing this or how do the Tampa Bay Rays keep doing this? Even the – all right, so so the trade that they they made last year that I was just like, oh, man, did did the Rays lose a trade where they gave up – oh, Ray, help me out with his name, but the left-hander, Shane McClanahan. Shane McClanahan, yeah. They gave him up who was a – you know, this was a guy I really liked. I I thought it was really, really good. I loved him in that draft. I, I, I did too, and they got Randy Rosarena back, and I'm just like, eh, I mean, okay, like he's good, but you know, I, I think finally the Rays lost a trade, and then and then this guy yeah. goes out and has the most historic offensive postseason ever, and I'm like, well, the Rays did it again, and so like, I you you start to wonder those like, are the Rays just this lucky, or the Dodgers this lucky, or do they have systems in place that are are that much better than the rest of Major League Baseball? I think the answer is that they have systems in place that are that much better than the rest of Major League Baseball. And I, I'd really like to hope the Mets, who seem to be heavily invested in big data now under Steve Cohen, are just going to be that much better than the rest of Major League Baseball and have a $250 million payroll, or at least the ability for a $250 million payroll. And that's that's exciting. As much as $300 million extensions to Lindor are, it, it, I, I, I almost get a little bit more satisfaction out of finding those diamonds in the rough that nobody else sees and, and having them ball out for us. And that, that's fun too. I'm just curious as to like when this is going to level out. At what point is just everybody going to be doing exactly mm-hmm. like enough executives from the Dodgers and the Rays end up getting jobs as GMs and other places. And, and it just balances out eventually. When are we going to hit that point? I, I don't think I don't you're ever going to hit that soon. point because, because as soon as you have all 30, 30 major league teams kind of where maybe the Dodgers are now, the Dodgers will have moved on to something else, not moved on, but they, they've found Efficiencies or deficiencies, another thing, right? And there was a point not too long ago that the Baltimore Orioles did not have a sabermetrics department, an analytics department. The Philadelphia Phillies did not have an analytics department. It wasn't that long ago. Now everybody has an analytics department. It's just how much money you're going to put into it, how many people you have hired, how much technology have you invested in. And at some point, that's going to be pretty even too. And and I know, I think Tim and and Ray have talked to Mm -hmm. both of you individually and in a group about this, but there's you know, scouting in, in different countries or investing more heavily in Asia, investing more heavily in, in, in player psychology the and, 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 right. uh, and maybe investing in behavioral health and things like that, where, where maybe we've turned a blind eye before and they're like, hey, if we get, you know, look at Dom Smith, just just something that was was uh, his sleep, right? Like yeah, maybe, maybe all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all 30 teams have 
sleep psychologist on staff, you know, like, like, I, I don't know, it, that might not be a thing, but it might, you know, and, and, it's and these at little some things. point, it's, it's those little, little things, things that kind of, you know, they'll, they'll unlock these next levels and you don't know where it's going to be. Yeah. So, so I think as soon as the analytics becomes more commonplace with all 30 teams, the, the Rays and the Dodgers, if they continue to be the smartest people in the room, so to speak, that they'll, they will have pivoted to something else to, to just blow everybody away with. There's going to be and confused that's the, as to what that is, man. I, right. I it's it's going to be, it's going to be a 49 year old Clayton Kershaw throwing junk balls and winning Cy Youngs. <laughs> and I don't know how they're going to do it, but they're going to, you know, Keep going the curve. If it's not, it's like, like he's going to be like, I literally don't have a UCL anymore. They're like, Oh, does it hurt? Just keep throwing it. <laughs> UCL is just a rubber band. It's exactly. <laughs> Newfangled surgery with, with Dr. James Andrews, now 114 years old. Oh, it's literally oh, just a rubber man. band, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's like rookie of the year, but in 2038. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I just, I really hope the Mets are that, that organization too. I don't want to be behind the curve catching up and, maybe getting lucky here or there. I, and I think the Mets, I don't know really how they're doing. They're, they're drafting really, really, really well. And, and maybe it's just having two really good people at the head of that department and, and Tommy Tannis and, and Mark Tremuda. Tim, is it Tremuda or Tremuda? Tremuda. Tremuda, I'm sorry. Mark Tremuda, I always got that wrong. Uh, I think those two are, I mean, arguably two of the top dozen scouts and head, head of scouting divisions in baseball. I mean, maybe even oh, yeah. higher than that. Um, so maybe it's just two really, really, really good guys in that role, or maybe we're doing something else with, with, with cross-checking and, and, and data, and I'm not sure. But the, the point is the Mets are drafting really, really well. If we can do more in the analytics department with the, with the lower-key free agent signings, I think the Mets are going to be a behemoth when you combine that with, with a, a, a wallet, which we have now. Um, yeah. But I hope we continue. To, I, the drafts are so fun for me because like, I'll be sitting there going like, you know, I've got my top five right here, and the Mets will be, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll pick a guy 13th on my list. And I'm like, almost automatically now I go, he's going to be good because the Mets have hit that consistently with their early picks over the past, you know, nine drafts or so. Yeah, I mean, and even the guys that they're going out and, you know, who was it, uh, JT game last year. Yeah, um, beautiful pick. Oh, my goodness. And then you, you take that sort of, um, I guess, approach to it where, hey, who's the absolute best player in the few, like you know, on the board, the value yeah. that we can mm-hmm. get right now, and boy, they're going out and finding them, man. It's it's really they really are. Oh, since we're here, can we can we chat for a second about the draft? And I've got a really specific question to ask you both um, it, that involves new baseball and data and and the draft. So I'm going to lay it on you. Uh, we were just talking about exit velocity. Uh-oh. I'm sorry, uh, launch angle rather. And we all know that players are are changing that swing path. They're they're getting the bat lower in the zone. They're trying to elevate the ball. And pitchers who have been able to adjust with the quote unquote straight fastball, which is, you know, never actually straight, but kind of that, that fastball that, that stays up in the zone and can get over those swing paths has had a lot of success. And Jacob deGrom has truly, truly mastered this. Has, has it made it harder for sinker ball pitchers who have natural dive to their pitches combat the launch angle revolution and and i'm going to give you one example i I think this perhaps has plagued casey mize a little bit as a natural sinker ball pitcher from his you know his his dominance in the college ranks to make and struggling struggling is relative he's still doing well and then he 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 missed time because of coronavirus and whatnot but 
hasn't kind of blown the world away with with his stuff either. And there's a pitcher that the Mets, I'm I'm certain, are scout have scouted and are scouting right out of my hometown of Boston, Texas, named Ty Madden, who is a sinker, single sinker boy. ball slider. He he is just because I get to watch him every Friday night, and he is a dominant uh, Texas flamethrower. But he is a sinker ball slider pitcher. His stuff naturally has really good sync to it. Our team's maybe going to shy away from those. And there's a couple of them in, the, in that draft. Andrew Panter from the high school side, Jaden Hill, who unfortunately is getting um, Tommy John. He's got a very heavy fastball. Um, but there's guys, I'm wondering if, if baseball is going to shy away from that sort of pitcher thinking, hey, we're going to have to retool this guy or run the risk of I'm going to give you a short him. answer to that, man. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. The I'm, answer's... I'm very curious to see how this plays out. The answer is no. The answer is so, no, because, but under the caveat of how good are those, are those sinking pitches, how good, how effectively are they producing those ground balls? I, I just want to give you a quick number. These are the top 10 guys right now in baseball and ground ball percentage. And you tell me uh, how many mm-hmm. of these guys are not particularly successful. So mm-hmm. Stroman's at the top right now. Yeah, not, not shocked there at all. Ivaldi, who is actually having a pretty good season so far, is – Right there, McCullers yeah, career, Jr. He, he, yeah. Career Ivaldi's been a, a a worm killer for sure, but he's also yeah. I mean, he's been good and bad and good. He's and bad, been but both. Yeah. <laughs> but right now, when he's producing those ground balls at that rate, he's doing better. Mm-hmm. McCullers Jr. McCullers, Her- Her- Herman Marquez. Oh, I love him. You know, I love him. Dallas Keuchel, Huascarinoa, mm-hmm. Joe Musgrove, Hyunjin yep. Ryu, Corbin Burns, and mm-hmm. the familiar Stephen Metz. That's yeah. that's a nice group of pitchers. It, it really is. So that, that's why I think, like, you know, it's about how effective you are with it. If you're mm-hmm. not able to get to get enough sink on a sinker or a splitter or anything that's, that you're trying to use to produce some ground balls and people are able to lift it against you, it's, it's not, it's not going to be great for you. But I think just as well, even with the kind of launch angle swing that, that, that a lot of guys are utilizing right now, some guys are finding a way to get that angle on the bat and hit those higher pitches. If I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, Dom's first home run of the year was, like <laughs> it was letter letter high. It, it he, was up. I mean, inches at least at least three to three to five inches above the upper limit of the strike zone. But did crazy. you see the angle of his bat? Yeah, it, that was beautiful. It's like, point, it's like pointing downwards, <laughs> but like he's swinging at his neck. And he, he, also, he just that, drove it. his left forearm was at such an angle to get that barrel it level. It, it was just yeah, very impressive. Um, yeah. that, that also, Dom Smith is just way stronger than people give him credit for. Oh, and maybe it's because like he, he's old, quote unquote only six feet tall. I mean, he, uh, he does look small compared to Pete Alonso. He's stupid strong though. Yeah, I, and real quick about the sinker ball compared to like a let's say a, a fireball who lives up in the mm-hmm. zone, like you were saying. Yeah, I think the teams. I'm not going to say that that guys without that velo to lean on are going to take a back seat to the high velocity guys. So I think mm-hmm. there's still a lot of value to be had in, in a pitcher who, who has the, you know, the spin rate, the active spin, all that stuff. And I think that scouts are going to, especially with the, with the, I guess, greater data and greater technology available to them. Um, they're going to look at these numbers and say, Hey, this guy with, you know, a hundred percent spin efficiency on, on his off speed stuff, this is something we can work with. And I think maybe that they're going to give these guys a little bit more, I guess, developmental leeway um, because, you know, when you have VLO to kind of fall back on, you can, I don't want to say you could kind of skate by with that, but when you're, when you're out there and if you're not throwing 
high 90s. If you're sitting 94, 95, man, you better have some absolute pristine command and um, and just mm-hmm. you know, terrific control of your pitches. And I think teams are still going to take on these guys. I just think they're going to take them with more of a, I guess, project gloves on, if that makes sure. sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, based on both of y'all's answer, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a prediction here on April 15th. The Mets are gonna draft Ty Madden if he's there. <laughs> I'm calling that, it that's now. That's rough, I mean, man. It's 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 way too early for this. It's just this is this is the like the Mets would be drooling over this guy in their wow. system, especially with how well the Mets develop pitchers. He'd probably slot in there pretty similar to where Matt Allen will be, and the two of them climbing the ranks together would just be beautiful. I love Ty Madden, man. I think. You know, he, he has a big fastball. That's slider. Slider is nasty. Yeah, yeah, really hard break. And and to think that that scouts think that his changeup is his better pitch. Uh, no, I, I mean, from from my amateur scouting, yeah, it, just I, like, it's, it's not. It's yeah. not. It, it, his slider is really good. I and mean, he throws this sneaky curveball to uh, to left hand hitters. Uh, it's it's actually it's clever. He he only ever throws it against lefties or I've only ever seen him throw it against lefties and he'll bring it in like in on the hands. It's it's <laughs> like it's it's sneaky but it's good. Uh, and the thing I like about Ty Madden, he's insanely competitive. Um he reaches back for 98 when he wants it even 110 pitches into a start. Uh it, it, the thing is like he loses his release point at some every so often. But what I, I, I the like command is an issue so far. So the, far, the, the, the command, command is an issue. The command could be better, but you also got to remember he's facing really good competition here. Um, it, it, That's it, something it, to consider, man. Because like, dude, I don't know what it is, but this year it seems like a lot of the hitters in in, uh, in college baseball are a lot more patient, man. Like, mm-hmm, we, yeah. I know you just as well as I have been making pretty good use of our ESPN Plus accounts yeah, for, <laughs> for sure. For sure, it's it's been but, so much fun dude, tuning man, into these games. Like, and, and I think um maybe some of the the criticisms of like umpiring at the major league level is kind of getting some of these umpires at the college level to maybe not call some of the the pitches that they would typically Mm -hmm. because I feel like they maybe have more eyes on them but yeah man I feel like guys who would be considered really hot command guys are walking guys more than before Gunnar Hogland his walk rate this year even though he's a primary Uh, command pitcher man yeah, he's he's got. I mean, I don't I don't want to say the best command of the draft. I think that's probably lighter. He's one of, uh, but, he's, but one he's of up there. He's, a, yeah. he's in the top uh, he's, area. He's another guy I could see the Mets drafting. I really, I really am I starting to narrow down. If it's I, I a do pitcher, too. I love I love hogging. If, if it's if it's him or Madden, I would not be I would not be sad whatsoever. Uh, and, and, and both of those guys, actually, so I've got a comp for you for, for Hoagland. Uh, Aaron Nola, is that a bad comparison? I, I wouldn't, no, I, I wouldn't really say so. I think, you know, they're both kind of softer tossers who, who that, kind of that's make what I was more, thinking. Like, yeah. like, good, good command, not a flamethrower, multiple pitches, even and at the college so level. Yeah. It was, yeah, striking out a, a ton of guys just from command and, and, and multiple pitches. That's why I was making that comparison, really. I think from from where their third pitch was at this point, from when they were going to get drafted, I think that that's not a bad comparison. Yeah, Man, you know, I think I think Noah was probably a little bit farther along at the further along at this point. But um, I mean, I mean, Hope is a, he he's striking out the world, which is really cool for a guy who's yeah. throwing ninety miles an hour, not ninety eight. Which is which is an improvement from where he was last year, even though you know they mm-hmm. had kind of like a shortened season yeah. in college. But man, he's yeah. really doing it this year, man. Like, uh, I get it. Last. Oh, sorry, Tim. Go ahead. No, I was just saying I gotta have you guys back on next month for the draft prime. Oh yeah. So the, the draft is later this year. It's not a it's, it's not, not a May draft. Uh, May or June. I think it's in July. Uh, Ray, is that is that correct? Right. 
Dan, now you're gonna make me check. Uh, it's it's I, I believe because of pandemic uh, really? fallout, it is later this year. I think it's just to let to let seasons and players have a little bit more time to to showcase because some of those high school seasons, we're just not seeing a lot of game game wow. action right yeah, now. Yeah, you're right, man. July 11th to 13th. Yeah, so it's a, that's wow. what I'm saying. I'm making this call on time Madden way <laughs> early. The, the draft is that's, in six oh, weeks. No, we, it's, <laughs> it's already been recorded. I've already wrote it in my notebooks. I, I, so, yeah, I know, oh, I know. So is, this, it's just it, wild it, to see like how many guys have been gaining like a draft stock and oh, which yeah. guys are getting healing. Like right now, like Matt McClain, I think his stock is going up pretty well right now. Oh, well, that's um, weird because it, it was going down. Like, you know, he was a top five guy and then he plummeted and now he's coming back. So it's dude, that's, his, OP, that's a, his OPS is almost at a thousand right now. He's like a nine for him. Right? A couple of hot weeks and you're right back in the Yeah, dude. Uh, I think yeah. the the more crazy thing is just like how how close is K and walk radar? Like he's walking mm-hmm. like um at a thirteen point four eight clip and striking out fourteen point one eight. That's is, nice. You know, that's he's nice. Literally kissing it right there, but right, for, my for boy, South Frelick, yeah, South Frelick has knew walked, you were gonna bring him up. walked and struck out 15 times each. I'm telling you, he's Brett Gardner. That That is my comp for him. <laughs> That's he's a good Brett comp. Gardner. It's a good comp. I like it. Yeah, I mean, think about it. He's a guy who walks a ton, speedster, uh, you know, play, play, plays right field, but has the speed and the ability for center. It's, uh, that's, mm. yeah, it's. That's where I'm getting that from. Oh, I, I know Tim. This is not your your draft uh, draft episode here, but but could I <laughs> oh, ask okay. this? Is this is this is this regime ever going to draft a prep pitcher with the, with their first pick? See that that's what I'm that's what I'm kind of like. I, I I haven't even looked that much into prep pitchers outside of someone like Andrew Painter because I just feel like the mm-hmm. Mets are not well, Jackson Job or Joby, however you say his name. Yeah, yeah Joby is the only Joby other guy. Is, I would think. Is, is, yeah, he's what like the the third ranked um, prep pitcher in this draft right now. And, uh, I would and, think he, and he's his my stock is one up right now. Yeah, and his stock is up right now. I, I think yeah. he's showing it more than anyone else that that's available right now. But mm-hmm. are you really gonna take him over a Madden or a Hog? Uh, Hog you see, you see, I'm not. I'm personally, I'm not. It's just the 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 delta on those guys is is just so much mm-hmm. higher. But but it does let some other team take a take a project and maybe get a better picture it's just the the risk and and reward are, are both higher um and i i think this regime has has been a little bit more conservative with those with those first round picks at least when it comes to pitchers mm-hmm. and, and from the reports man like painter's season has not been going all too it's not well been, he's not lost, been he's great, lost no. a lot of stock although yeah. conversely no actually not conversely you know, on, on the same note uh judd fabian stock has has Hit, taking a dramatic hit, man. I can't believe he, he's striking yeah. out almost 35% of the time right, right now. And this, it, it's strange because we wanted him to struggle enough to make it to 10, yeah. <laughs> but not too much that the Mets get scared away. And he's struggling you know, too much. It. It, Dude, he's hitting he's, 237. 237 right. in college that, that with a 326 It's, it's not going to be done. He's it almost, I don't care how much power you have, man. You cannot have that kind of contact rate. He's almost at the point where I'm I'm looking at him like please be around for our second pick. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he if he's in round two, you fucking take him. <laughs> he probably won't make it because I think some team is still gonna be like, this is one of the premier talents in all of college college baseball. And and you, you remember what happened with Trey Turner in his draft? He was the consensus number one overall pick. Mm-hmm. Tried to hit for too much power his junior year to get, you know, even 
more, um, I don't know, just just clout or whatever. I'm not sure what was going on. He was pressing though, and his batting average fell fell a little bit. And he, he and his team started to get worried about his actual his overall hit, hitting ability, and he fell in the drafts for that. That's the only reason. Other than that, he should have maybe not number one overall, um, but certainly top five. And I don't, I'm not sure he wasn't a top five. He, I think he fell much farther than that. But, but anyway, my my point is that like. I, I'm not sure teams are willing to make that mistake with Fabian again, but if they are, hey, I'd happily take him around two, and you know, we'll we'll see. Um, we will eat up those mistakes every time. I don't know how far Jaden Hill is going to fall. I, so I, I disagree with a couple of draft folks on Twitter about this. They seem to think that uh, Jaden Hill, and for those listeners who don't know who Jaden Hill is, he's a guy who a lot of scouts and, and experts said actually has the best pure stuff in the draft, even even better than Lighter and Kamar Rocker. Um, just because it's so good, 99 mile per hour fastball, arguably the best changeup in the draft. Uh, it's just just a filthy, filthy stuff. Like it's good. he has a slider, he has a curveball. Um, the problem was he he was reliever for uh, for most of his college his freshman year, then coronavirus, and so he just didn't really pitch much. And now he has Tommy John surgery, unfortunately. So mm-hmm. there's a huge question mark around this guy. I don't think there's How any it- way in hell that he gets past the supplemental round. I don't either, but but uh, some some draft folks disagree with me on this, uh, thinking that we can get him in round two because JT Ginn just kind of ha- it was kind of very very similar situation. The Mets were able to get him um, in round two. I don't think he makes it past pick thirty or so, but I could be wrong, you know. And, and if he, if he does slide that far, then I hope the Mets do have a shot at him. Uh, it just feels like a Dodger pick to me, and it's like if it gets oh, yeah, right really there, does. like there, there's not. I, I don't see. Anybody who who's in that twenty five to thirty rank right now, like if you're if you're putting your your um your chart of your guys, mm-hmm. I, I don't see how there's anybody who you're gonna take over Hill at that point. It's like, dude, this is a project that's worth working on. So yeah, absolutely, guys. You, I, I swear, I you know I'm trying to keep up. But I'm sorry, Tim. No, no, it's okay, bro. You guys, your knowledge of these draft prospects are, are absolutely um, mind blowing. I, I wish that I had the uh, the capacity to take on another, you know, thousand players into my fucking mental database. <laughs> so, Tim, I will say this for you and any, anybody listening who just wants to eat up as much baseball as they can. If there's one draft to tune into, in my humble opinion, it's this one. We had yeah. a five round draft last year. There's more players in this talent pool, and this thing there's is less swollen. It's swollen, swollen. And, there's, and there's less information statistically than we usually have because of how much missed playing time there was because of the pandemic. So this is going to be the wildest, wackiest, probably the most fun draft in years. So if you're gonna buy, like like invest in one, learn about the players, get your favorites. I recommend doing this one. And um, if you happen to like do your research and agree with me on Ty Madden, um, it, even better. Uh, if, if you want to be wrong and go with Ray and uh. not be on the Ty Madden train, that's fine as well. You know, but, but the more the merrier, I would just say um, get, get in on it. I think it's going to be a blast this year. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to be doing my homework. Um, cause I, I'm definitely having you guys back on before the draft because this is, uh, this is some good stuff here. And, um, yeah, once, I guess, once the boards become a little clearer and once, uh, I guess I, I need, I really need to get my feet wet in this, uh, in this pool, because again, from what you guys are telling me, it sounds like a very exciting class coming up. Um, it's still going to be short rounds, correct? Well, shorter, shorter, um, total, total length. Like the time between picks, right? 
Uh, no, no, as far as the rounds. Uh, last year. I, I didn't five. think so. I thought I thought we had a full draft here, but I could be wrong. Oh, I know that. Well, I know last year, what was it, five rounds? It was only five rounds. I think we have a full draft this year, but I, yeah. I haven't heard otherwise. Ray, is that? <laughs> oh, that's I haven't cool. heard anything either. Oh, I see. Last year, I thought I remembered hearing that they're going to do the same or something similar. Oh, that, as well. that would be no, a that huge disservice to all, yeah. like, to all of those college players who went back for their senior year because they weren't drafted. Yeah. That would be horrible for them. Cool. Oh, that would be, uh, you know, just think about all the development lost between the amateur and the pro levels yeah. um, over the last year. I mean, everything's kind of upside down, but we got to save some content for, for the draft. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, do you know what's beautiful about this, Tim? It was like, like it, we could do an entire draft episode now in April, April 15th, and by by May 7th, the whole board will be scrambled, you know, and we're going to be sitting here going, yep, time adding down here in the 30 to 40 range, and we're looking <laughs> at him for round two, and, you know, someone we've never heard of before is a top 10 consensus about pick now. It's a pick or something. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy how quickly these things change. Oh, I like guess some Jonathan India helium like a couple yeah, of years ago. Yeah, you for know? sure. Oh, he's finally doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy for I I like the Ra- the Reds draft picks from the last handful of years. Mm-hmm. I, I like I've Reece always Hines. been a Nick Reese Hines. Reese Reese Hines. Yeah. So so I I've really liked um, Nick Senzel for a long time, and I hope he gets some some consistent health because uh, he he's a really cool cool player. Hunter Green. Um, I think yeah, he's man. he's he's back for on 102 miles an hour. He's a stud. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that Reds team. Uh, who is that? Have um, I'm sorry, uh, Nick Ladola. Nick yeah, Ladola. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Out of Texas again. Not 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 University of Texas. He was Texas A&M, Texas Tech. Or am I thinking of Asa Lacy? I'm thinking that of Asa Lacy. Never mind. Other ten. Sure, you'll have to edit that part. Right, out, Tim. I, I, I don't no, remember I think, I think actually. Max, Max Meyer went Florida, uh, Miami, and Asa Lacey mm-hmm. went Kansas City. Okay, Max Meyer was the guy I really liked. I, I was such a fan. He was, and so like, um, I don't know if, if you guys knew this, but I was actually at basic training when that draft happened, and um, so like, I didn't, I, I didn't get to follow. It was the first draft since 2008. I was not able to to watch. And I didn't find out who the Mets pick until I got a letter at basic training from uh, Michelle Callie and um, M. Callie on, um, on Twitter uh, telling us who it was. And I was really, like, really pleasantly surprised to see Pete Crow Armstrong and uh, JT Jin again in there. I thought that was really good, but I had no idea Meyer went that high. Like, I, I knew I, he was good. He was going to go in the first round, but I did not think he was going to go, what, number three overall. I thought, good for him, though. He's a stud. Yeah. No, they look, you know. There's so much talent bubbling up because all these guys have, you know, they have the data that the pros have. They have, they're able to kind of focus on their, their target areas and, and all that fun stuff. It's very exciting. <laughs> but guys, we went so far over my time limit. Andrew's not going to be happy with this. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, it's a, I, 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 before we recorded this, I was just like, I feel bad for Tim's editor. If, that, if that's Tim, if that's someone else, because like, like whenever I'm on a podcast with Ray, we like the, we're, we're the tangent team. That's what we are. Like, yeah. like we you'll just, you could, Tim, you could just give us like, you could just be like, 2004 and like 45 minutes later we're like what was the question <laughs> keep this a secret uh but oh, steven doesn't good. know that i've been like recording our phone conversations over the last oh, few God. months and i'm gonna re- i'm gonna release them edited as podcasts <laughs> at some point <laughs> Remastered. the hidden the hidden masters where can uh, where can everybody find you on social media all that good stuff 
So I guess you're, you're not getting our social media. Uh, and that's the end of the episode. I was waiting for, I was waiting for Ray to, uh, to answer. I'm, I'm at Steven Josiah 13 on Twitter. And um, I'm at Ray yeah. Brutal on Twitter. Um, that's yeah. R-E-Y. I'm, yep. Excellent. And um, are we going to have you guys back? For, for the uh for the draft for the draft. oh yeah if you want here, i'm here man you're gonna have to set aside like a two-hour podcast or break this up into like <laughs> three 45 minutes or something like that because oh goodness we could probably talk for 10 minutes about each player in the first round alone oh no we're gonna if we're next time we get together we're gonna do this live we're gonna stream it there's gonna be no editing. oh nice I'm yeah. I'm I'm game for that. We're gonna oh, have a banner on the side of names. Yeah, let's we could even live stream the draft, boys. I don't that, think- that would be fun. I would actually be Ooh. so game for that. Yeah. Oh, dude, I, I definitely I, I just got into uh Clubhouse. I just got into uh locker room to I guess you know audio only kind of live streaming type uh platforms. Um certainly looking to expand into that, but yeah. And once, you know, once things go back to quote unquote normal, uh, big plans for the show. We're going to be doing live shows. Awesome. All that. Fun. Awesome. Ned, you guys are going to, you know, you're in the rotation for sure. Sick. Love it. Yeah, well, thanks for forward. having, ha- having us on. Yeah, very much looking forward to this. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been um, a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, man. Thank you so much, Tim. And uh, last note, let's go Mets. Let's, let's fucking go Mets. Go Mets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry for cursing. No, I'm not. I'm not sorry at all. Yeah, it's part of it's part of the the chant now. Yeah, goddamn right. All right, it's guys. LFGM. LFGM, baby. You guys know where to find us. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with a recap of the weekend. Uh, you know, hopefully the Mets come out of Colorado, not frostbitten with a couple more W's. Let's go. <laughs> if we even play, let's let's hope we get some games in. I, I think the snow's supposed to move out, but it's supposed to be like 15 degrees on Saturday night. Oh, that's fine. That's no problem for Jacob Degrom. In fact, somehow it's, it's going to be our first no hitter. You know, fifteen degrees. Jacob Degrom's going to do it. Yeah, heard it here first. Yeah, here, here, time Madden uh, being drafted by the Mets number ten overall in a couple months, and Jacob Degrom no hitter in Colorado. Uh, the first no hitter. Sub the first sub freezing no hitter. Right. There, there it is. Yeah, we wrote it down. Okay, good. The big freeze, we'll call it. <laughs> guys, thank you so much again for coming on, and um, guys, we'll see you next week. <laughs>